I just wonder, since God knows everything about everything, I just wonder what he's thinking about what we're thinking about during that time of prayer. I mean, does that ever, do you ever think like that? Just what were, what were we thinking about during the time of prayer? Were we really crying out to God to speak to us through his word, to the, through the proclamation of the word of God or, or not? So uh, it, it made, I just have to tell you, certainly, and I'm, I'm still working on a message that uh, I haven't had the freedom to preach yet, and it's not any, uh, it's on mercy, but I just haven't, I haven't, God hadn't given me the green light to go ahead and preach it. But I just have to tell you, I think God is <laughs> awfully patient, awfully merciful with us, because I think most of us, the way we do each other, uh, I think most of us would already pull the plug on a bunch of us. You know, I, I just don't know that we would have put, been quite as patient. And I think it was Jerry Benjamin, Dr. Jerry Benjamin, that said, and he just had some really special insights about, you know, when people said, well, this is, a, you know, something coming against America or this is that. He just said, I just see these things as the mercy of God. And just seeing the hand of God and his mercy and, and drawing people to Christ. So anyway, I think there's a lot of different ways to look at things. But I know that, uh, that our Heavenly Father is awfully patient and awfully forgiving and awfully merciful with us. A lot more than we are with each other, I can tell you that. All right? Well, amen, right? So... Let's have Philippians chapter 1. Turn there, if you will, in your Bibles, Philippians chapter 1. This is about furthering the gospel. God's ways are not our ways, and His ways are so much higher than our ways. And we think about how God orchestrates and, and allows things, His permissive will, so I want you to read along with me, if you will, in the book of Philippians, beginning in verse 12. But I would ye should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. If you like to mark in your Bible or you highlight or you take notes, you need to pay attention to that word the furtherance of the gospel, because that's what we're talking about, is the furtherance of the gospel, the spreading how the church spreads the gospel. I want to read that to you again. But I would ye should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. And this is, I mean, this is such a powerful passage, these, these verses. And many of the brethren in the Lord waxing confident by my bonds are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Boy, that's some powerful, that's some power. If you can't preach from that, your wood is wet. 
you've got a real problem here. So let's let's bow for prayer and ask the Lord to give us direction as we go through this. And I think you'll I think you'll be very encouraged as we face life circumstances. Father, we thank you for the word of God. We thank you for your patience with us and for your love with us. And we thank you that you're on your throne and you're good always. And and uh, you are absolutely promising to work every single thing out for our good. Our minds can't comprehend it. We can't emotionally think about it many times. But the truth is you promise to work all things together for our good. And Father, with just by faith as little children, we stand firm on that today, trusting you completely and totally to keep your word and help us to embrace your word and accept your word and receive your word and not try to uh, change it up and fit our circumstances. I pray that you would help us as we receive your word here today. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. Well, y'all know that I, I love to read different ones, but my favorites, I like, I love John MacArthur. John MacArthur and I don't agree on everything, but you know what? I've really benefited from uh, J Dr. John MacArthur. Uh, he has, uh, I've attended a Shepherds Conference in Fort Worth with him. It was a several day conference and uh, very good. I don't agree 100% with uh, all of his doctrine, but I've discovered that you can, you can appreciate what things about people that you agree with and lovingly just understand where they're coming from in other areas, and it's okay. Because when we get to heaven, we're going to have all of eternity to have all these hard questions that's divided the church and divided Christians. It'll all be straightened out. And some of it we're going to get right, and some of it we're not going to get right. So just be prepared for that. So, Dr. Blackaby, I made a copy of this, says there are two ways. I want you to think about this as you think about your set of circumstances you're facing. There are two ways to look at every situation. How it will affect you and how it will affect God's kingdom. Okay? Think about it. We can look at our circumstances, our situation in two ways. How it affects me and how it's going to affect the kingdom of God. The Apostle Paul was always concerned with how his circumstances might aid the spreading of the gospel. That was his heart. When he was unjustly imprisoned, he immediately looked to see how his imprisonment might provide God's salvation to others. And there are the references. When he was assailed by an angry mob, he used that opportunity to preach the gospel. When, he was, uh, when Paul's criminal proceedings took him before the king, his thoughts were on sharing his faith with the king. Even when Paul was shipwrecked on an island, he used that opportunity to share the gospel there. Regardless of his circumstance, Paul's concern was how he could use his current situation to tell others 
of God's good news of salvation. Folks, those of you that have been around a while, and we've been together in hard times, and I think of the Greggs, I think of y'all as with uh, your dad, and I think about the many surgeries and the many times we were in the uh, emergency rooms and the waiting rooms together. And we always, we always continued, though we, it was difficult time, though there were hard times and many tears were shed, we never lost sight. I don't believe that we ever, as, you as a family and all of us, we did not lose sight of the fact there were people all around there and that was our mission field. We hadn't been called to Africa. We hadn't been called to uh, the other side of the world. But that mission field was right there where God had permitted circumstances that we would have never chosen for ourselves. We would have never wanted any of that to happen to any of our family members. But we never lost sight of the fact that all around us and how many times we would be praying in a circle or praying in our chairs and people would come up and say, my name is so-and-so and we have a need. Would y'all pray for us too while you're praying? It happened more than once. So as we think about our circumstances, and many of us are going through real difficult trials, I just have to ask these questions. Are we praying more that God would uh, use our circumstances to further the gospel and have a positive impact on the kingdom of God? Or do we spend more time praying and asking God to get us out of the mess we're in? And I really, I mean, we're all human. We're all human. And I am convinced that much of our praying is, Lord, please fix it. Please repair it. Please heal it. Please lift the burden. The burden's too much. I'm going to give you a little insight. I wasn't, I, this is not in my notes, but I'll just give you a little insight that came to me this week. I went out on the porch. You know, the weather's changing. We really suffered, didn't we, during the summertime? It was hot. So we've got this front porch and we've got ceiling fans. I had to turn the fans off, put on a long sleeve shirt, and I had my cup of coffee in my Bible, and I'm sitting out on the porch. Well, those of you that don't have your, you know, and no offense, please understand, I'm not saying this is a better life and yours is not a good life. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying if you've never lived in the country around animals, you really don't understand. But I walked outside, sat down, and the horse started whinnying. And the goats started making their mat sounds. And the cows started mooing. And the deer are looking through the fence, seeing when I'm going to go bring another bag of corn. And so I'm sitting there with my coffee and my Bible. And it was just as clear as day. God spoke to my heart and said, Do you love me? for all the things I provide for you? Or do you love me for who I am in your life? Because you see, those animals will follow me all around because they know I'll give them feed. And that's, you know, 
Dogs are a little different. I know that our, our dog, our poodle, she'll not eat to be in my lap. But a cow, all they're interested in is food. That's all they want. They'll knock me down. And they have knocked me down. And they've kicked me. And they've stepped on me. And they, to get to the food, that's all they're interested in. They don't love me for who I am. They don't, they don't enjoy me coming up and rubbing on them and talking to them, telling them how much I love them. They're only interested in the food. Now, folks, I think you can take some really good analogies of the people that follow Jesus around and the multitudes, and they were looking for miracles and healings and, and, and to be fed. But, but I know he's drawing us to love him for who he is. To love him for the fact that he is God. And he is caring for us in a way that nobody else can care. So I want to tell you today that I, in this message we have some good news and we have some bad news. I believe the good news is this. And this is just the extreme. But the, the good news is I believe God raises the dead. I believe with all my heart. And I've got scriptures, like 10 different scriptures. 1 Kings 17, 2 Kings 4, 2 Kings 13, Matthew 27, Matthew 28, Luke 7, Luke 8, Luke 11, Acts 9, Acts 20. All these accounts of widow's sons and different ones being even touching bones and being raised. I'm telling you, God has the power to raise the dead. So there's no doubt in my mind that if he wanted to raise, if someone did have a cardiac, they did officially, medically, legally die, and God wanted to raise them up, he could. And so I want to encourage you, the power of God that raised Jesus from the dead, that same power lives, lives in believers, and it would be absolutely nothing for God to change your circumstances or my circumstances or fix whatever we're going through. I mean, in a breath, in an instant, God could change it. It would be nothing. It would be nothing for him to fix it. But although I do believe in miracles, I do believe God raises the dead and can raise the dead and does it as He sovereignly wills. It is not my place, and this is, I think, contrary to some of the popular teaching, but I think it is not my place to demand or command or expect because I've verbalized something or I've said something that even agrees with Scripture that God is obligated to perform. That, did that come out right? Did y'all get that? Does that make sense? I don't believe it's my role to tell God how to work out His miraculous events in people's lives. He does as He so chooses, and my role is to accept His perfect will. Now, I want to tell you the bad news. <laughs> and
And you know, if, if a preacher had any sense at all, he would just skip this part. He, why, would, why would anybody want to tell the congregation bad news? And the news I'm going to tell you is some of you are going to say, well, man, I, could have, I didn't have to hear that. But I'm going to tell you what I really believe based on scriptures. I'm not going to be able to cover all the scriptures and explain it all. I'm just telling you what I've observed and what I've seen. The bad news is this. That since God is in complete control of every event imaginable, everything in our life, everything that ever comes into my life, He is in complete control. If, if not, then you don't believe God is really God. If, if, you, if you really say, well, that's, that slipped past Him, or He was nodding at the wheel, and somehow that happened, and, and uh, it got by Him. No, I'm sorry. Everything that comes into my life and everything that comes into a church's life, everything that comes into a family's life is given and allowed by God. He's in complete control. He allows it. And he promises to work it all out for good. Now, my mind just can't comprehend it. But he promises, and I, I do believe him that somehow he's working everything out for my good. But based on what I believe the Bible teaches about suffering, and I just preached a message here a few weeks ago on suffering, based on what I believe the Bible teaches about suffering and the suffering of the Son of God, God's only Son, Jesus Christ, the brutal beating. And, you know, I've read doctors' accounts. Many of you have read it. We've heard dynamic preaching about it. I don't think there's a human vocabulary available to describe the brutality of just the scourging of Jesus. You can't, we, can't, we can't describe it. And again, I, I saw a, a documentary type, you know, thing about it and and even the best the best Hollywood or whatever the best they can do they can't we can't fathom the depth of the brutality of the beating of Jesus Christ we just can't his flesh was torn his body was bloody he just it's not we can't describe the pain and the payment of sin I mean, the, all the sins of the whole world, and he was making payment for the sins of the whole world. We can't imagine that. There's no way, no words. Our minds can't fathom the depth of the hurt and the pain, the agony of the cross. Why? Very simply because God loves us. God loves the whole world, and He gave His only begotten Son because He loves us so much, and you and I cannot really completely comprehend it. You know, I've often thought, as I think sometimes, I try to think like, well, I'm trying to think, what is God thinking about this and this event, these circumstances and all? I, I've thought about this. If I, if I was in God's shoes, 
and I was God, I would just do salvation another way. I wouldn't have had my son go through that. I just said, you know, you know, look and live or well, I don't know. I would have just done it another way. But not God. He chose to let his son suffer and die. Because he's just. And because he required, he required a payment for sin. And had to be a perfect sacrifice, and it was his son, Jesus Christ. So he chose the cross. He chose the blood of his son as payment for our sins. Folks, you just do a little bit of research on the suffering of the saints, the imprisonments, the stripes. You know, we can sit here all day long and try to say, you know, what it was like. We, we're, we weren't there. We weren't the ones sitting there and we weren't the ones receiving those lashes, that brutality, that pain, that agony, being in those prisons. I mean, you know, say what Paul was falsely accused and put in prison. I mean, you know, you and I can't even fathom. I mean, I've I've, you know, we want hand sanitizer and we want, you know, proper uh, toiletries and things. You can't imagine. I can't imagine what it'd be like in those, some of those dungeon type prisons with no facilities, no nothing. I mean, we can't imagine. So you just look at all the different ways, the shipwrecks, even in Paul's life, the beheadings. And then you just read some of the Fox's books of martyrs accounts. You look at all that. So I'm going to tell you, I believe the bad news is, and this is my personal belief, that I'm not convinced in my heart of hearts that God is, is as concerned over removing our problem as He is interested in our response to our problem as it affects the furthering of the gospel. Adam, the value God places on one soul. You and I can't, listen, all the effort, all the work, all the sharing, all the teaching, all the preaching, all the sweating, all the tears, all of it, but God would be thrilled over one. You had 62 or 63 the other day, but God would be excited over one soul. So I want you to hear me and hear my heart because I really believe this. That I'm not convinced based on Scripture that God is as interested in removing, fixing, healing our problem as He is our response to what we're in as it affects the furtherance of the gospel. Now, I don't know what, I mean, I'm not even, I'm just telling you what I really believe based on Scripture. He didn't, I mean, everybody didn't get healed. People died. They suffered. But it's the response. It's, I'm in this. We, we've been given this cup. 
This is the cup that God's given me. I'm to drink of that cup, and I've got to respond in a Christ-like manner to the cup that God has given me. But we bemoan, we, we murmur. Oh my goodness, and murmuring. What a shame. The murmuring against God. And we murmur. And we complain. And we tell others about our problems. Where is the proper Christ-like response to a circumstance that a sovereign God has permitted and allowed in our lives? And I wish I could say we do it all perfectly, but we don't. But we, that is our heart. That, we strive for that. That other people can see. They, they've gone through that. We had a guy at our first church, Riesel. He came up in the yard. We were packing to leave because we had been given just so many days to get out. And his comment to me was he was just surprised at how calm I was. We were no, no paycheck, no house, no place to go. You know, and he says, how, and we were brand new. We were brand new in the Lord. Just started our first ministry. It lasted 18 months. And already we're being run out of town. He said, and his comment was, I, I just can't believe how calm you are. That was the Lord. We want others to be able to see that in our trials, in our suffering, in our circumstances. We need to be concerned not so much about getting it fixed, getting it removed, repairing all the damage. We need to be concentrating on our response to what God has sovereignly permitted to come in our lives. But we're living in, a, in the midst of a it's all about me generation. What's in it for me? What's best for me? Rather than a generation that says, are my circumstances being used to further the gospel? Is that how we're going to operate? And I think today, Matt, I think today was a great testimony to the heart of the folks that are here that they, they were pouring their heart out to God in a special way. And I was so pumped, I was so encouraged to hear the saints praying, not bad-mouthing, not murmuring, not complaining, but crying out to God for wisdom, for the elders, for our spouses, for raising our children, for our, our leaders. I mean, it, it's just powerful. And so we need to concentrate on our response. How are we doing in this situation, you know, and we we know. I mean, we, listen. I've seen people take situations that we are confident they're going against the will of God, and I've watched them so craftily spiritualize it to make it look like it's the spiritual thing to do. You've got to watch that. You've got to really watch that. That we, we do have the ability, because of our knowledge of Scripture, that we can take Scripture and turn it around. And even when we're about to make a terrible mistake, we can turn around and, and spiritualize it, make it look like to others that we're doing this, God's will. And I'm not convinced that's always the case.
And then, you know, I think our human nature says, well, God, if this wasn't in my life, I could sure be used a lot more. If I didn't have this dragging me down, I could really be a real evangelist. I could be more effective. I could, I could be really a different person if I didn't have this burden weighting me down. Now, I, I think there are too many scriptures that show that Christians suffered. They paid a terrible price for their faith. Stephen and the stoning and just on and on and on you can go with the suffering that believers went through as they, because of their faith. So does God allow our circumstances in our lives, our trials, our suffering, so that we can reach more folks? I believe He's interested in that one, in that waiting room, that you may be the only one that will come in contact with them that will share the gospel in your pain, in your suffering, in your hurt, in your time of just horrible times. But you're there, and there's that lost person on the verge of eternity in hell, and they need a word from God. And they need to see that light. They need to taste the salt. They need to hear a word from God's people. Let's just look at this passage again real quickly. But I would, ye should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out for the furtherance of the gospel. What, what had happened unto Paul in this situation? What was he referring to? He was, he was referring to imprisonment. He was infer, referring to being in prison. So, you know, think about this. Satan was doing everything he could to prevent the gospel, to stop the gospel, to hinder the gospel. So his plan was to lock Paul up. Shackling to a guard. Restrict him. Stop him from going around preaching. Put him in a prison. And because of his response, what happened? One guard after another. After another, they saw his. They saw him singing hymns. They saw him responding in a Christ-like fashion. They saw him not complaining and not murmuring and and you know be well. Oh, it's such a bad. This is so bad. What they're doing to me. If I had a good attorney, he could fix it. You know, it just his response spread throughout the guard, the, the soldiers that were watching. They're in the prison. And so we have restrictions. We have limitations. We have our age. We have our health. We have our sickness. We have our circumstances. And Satan would want us to say, those are limiting me. I, I'm not as effective as I used to be when I was in my 30s. That's nonsense. That's not what God wants us to be looking at. We, he wants us to say, how can I be used? I'm here. I'm at this point in my life. Yes, I do have these restrictions, but I want to be used. And, and our joyful response to our trials will speak volumes to the lost. You mark that one down.
our joyful response will speak volumes to the lost. It's made manifest in all the palace and all other places. And the word was spreading. Paul's response, his peacefulness. He didn't complain. He wasn't murmuring. He was trusting his father. They saw a good attitude. And he was actually responding like Christ, under pressure, when it counted, under the oppression, under the attack. And what has happened to me has fallen out for the furtherance of the gospel. The devil tried, but he failed. And I think it ought to be our goal as we recognize the devil trying, that we want to see him fail. That we don't want to give in to his ploys and his deceit and his lies and not to be a part of it, not to aid or give him any help in any way, shape, or form. Look at verse 14. And many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. The word was spreading about Paul's response to his imprisonment. And you know what? He was confined, he was limited, he couldn't go about, but guess what? The brethren were hearing about it. The brethren were saying, boy, this Paul, this, this guy's he's really responding Christ-like. And so the scripture, the Bible says, they were waxing confident in my bonds. They were actually taking courage in the confinement of the apostle Paul. <clears throat> and the word started to spread. They were getting boldness. They were spreading the word. They were sharing Christ. It was like a flood. It started with a response. The apostle Paul in the prison. The guards were seeing it and hearing it firsthand, observing it. The word was getting out to the brethren the brethren started getting confident, more confident. They started talking more, spreading more, preaching more. And there Paul was, confined, restricted. Basically, the devil said stopped. But the word was spreading. The word was spreading. It was the spreading of the gospel, the furtherance of the gospel that was taking place. And I am convinced beyond any other thing that it was Paul's response to his trial that was causing the brethren to take courage, to, to be courageous and bold and share the gospel. <clears throat> so I have to ask you, I have to ask you, as we face our trials, as we face our circumstances, as we face our problems, how are we responding? I mean, are we, are we showing Christ's likeness, or, or others seeing his character. And I just wonder, do we really care about more about souls and about people getting saved, genuinely saved, than we do about our problems? And I would encourage you to say, yes, Lord, I need a proper response. I don't want to be self-absorbed. I don't want to be, just be focused on me. I don't want to be focused on my situation, my problem, and, and leave out all the lost souls that you've allowed to come into my life. And they're watching, they're listening, and they're observing. 
But it, it can have an effect one way or the other. Either it's going to encourage the brethren or it's going to stifle the brethren. And our response is key. And it's important that we understand that we are accountable. We're accountable to God. And you're going to be accountable to this message as we all stand before God and say, God, I was given the word. I wanted the word. I love the word. I love the preaching of the word. And what are we going to do with it? Because we've been given truth that says <clears throat> the brethren were waxing confident. They were spreading the gospel and more and more and more were preaching and reaching the lost because of the, the response of the Apostle Paul. I encourage you. I, I ask you to examine yourself. As I examine myself, as we go through our own personal individual trials, how are we going to respond to what we face in life? And really, we're the only ones. You can't answer for me and I can't answer for you. But we've got to give an account. We've got to answer God to see how we're going to respond to what he has allowed. That cup that's in my life, am I going to receive it as from the hand of God or am I not? So I want us to have an invitation. I want us to think very carefully about what we've been said. We don't have to rush through the invitation we need to just be prepared to be honest and transparent. And as Matt challenged the church to pray for wisdom, we ought to be uh, on our face crying out to God for wisdom because I'm convinced more and more that every soul counts. Every single soul counts, whether it be one or whether it be a thousand and one. Every soul counts. So let's Let's pray, let's trust the Lord, let's look to Him, and let's examine ourselves, our lives, as we have circumstances that are all different, but as we examine our responses to what God has sovereignly permitted to come into our lives. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for the Word of God. We thank You that You are all-powerful, that nothing is impossible with You, you're more than capable and more than powerful to remove any problem that we face in life. And I pray, Father, that you would in a special way just speak to our hearts. Help us to do business with you today and examine our, our responses to what you've permitted, our responses to what you've allowed to come into our hearts and lives. And I pray that you would be victorious in our lives and in our church and that we would be careful to give you the praise and all the glory as we trust you every step of the way. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.